We read from the Scripture this morning from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, at verse 53. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, at verse 53. We read in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pay attention to the Word of God. And they led Jesus to the high priests, and all the high priests and Uh, Chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent. And made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them. For you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on them and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down. And wept. The four Gospels tell the same story with different perspectives. Luke is the largest of the Gospels dealing with this particular event. He has undertaken to interview more people, and therefore he has a fuller account to give. And in his account, he says more about the anguish of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's clearer about Jesus' human acceptance of the will of God. And 
He contrasts Jesus' calmness and composure when the crowd come to arrest him. It seems as if, as you read the story, the arrest of Jesus is a chaotic event. This mob pushing forward, carrying their makeshift weapons. The chief priests, the scribes, these priests at the temple pushing their way behind and then behind them still uh, a, a, a company of uh, Roman soldiers with their weaponry all coming to get Jesus. And Jesus is calm in the midst of it. In fact, his quiet humor when they come to him, he says to them, you come out against me with swords and clubs? I've been teaching in your temple for the last week. I've been walking around the streets of Jerusalem. You could have got me at any time of day, any day of this week. And now here you come in the middle of the night with all of this weaponry to capture me. And so he goes on about his business. He heals the wounds that Peter's sword had, in, had, uh, had worked out in, the, in that high priest's servant who his ears chopped off, ear chopped off. And when Judas comes to kiss him, he uh, says to him, facing him with utter reality, you hand over the Son of Man with a kiss? What were you thinking? And in Luke's account, all of this activity comes down to this statement by Jesus. He says to these people, this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is what you want. This is what you've always wanted since you heard about me going about my business, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the kingdom of God. This is your hour. And with your hour, the power of darkness dwells upon the land. But there's something else about the arrest which Mark has not told us. John gives us the, the account. It's when the crowd first initially approach him. This is what we read. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, comes forward. He takes the initiative. He comes forward and he says to the crowd, who do you seek? And they answer him, Jesus of Nazareth. Then Jesus said to them two words in Greek and in English. Ego I me. I am. And they draw back and they fell to the ground. What Jesus is doing when he says those two words, ego I me, I am, is this. He's not merely telling them, I'm the one you're looking for, Jesus of Nazareth. He's telling them his true identity. Echoing the words God said to Moses, I am that I am. The words God says over and over again in the book of Isaiah, I am the Lord and there is none like me. Jesus is identifying himself as Yahweh, as he who is, the God who is. He is telling them what his own name represents. Yeshua, 
Yahweh saves. He is Israel's Lord and God. Making that declaration there very clear. And the crowd react, they respond as you would expect a Jewish crowd to respond. They're at the front of the, of the line, remember. And the Romans are at the back. They draw back. They fall to the ground. They're terrified at hearing someone actually utter the secret divine name which was always euphemized in Jewish parlance as it is in this passage by the use of the word power or the, the use of the word, uh, the, the, the language of uh, the blessed rather than using the, the precious name of God. They drew back and they fall to the ground. When Moses first heard God at the burning bush, God spoke to him from the bush and said to him, don't come near, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And then God introduces himself, I am the God of Abram, your father, your father's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was terrified. I love these words of St. Augustine. With no other weapon than his own solitary voice, uttering the words, I am, he knocked down, repelled, and rendered helpless that great crowd, even with all their ferocious hatred and terror of arms. What will he do when he comes again as judge who did this while he was giving himself up to be judged? What will his power be like when he comes to reign, who had this kind of power when he came to die? And now even at this present time, Christ is still saying through the gospel to men and women, I am that I am. And the result is the same. There are those who immediately draw back, push back, because they've abandoned what is heavenly in favor of what is earthly. So, so, so much for the arrest of Jesus. And having seized him then, they take him late that Thursday night into the high priest's palace to be cross-examined. So we have the cross-examination of Jesus. And it seems there were two charges against Jesus that were brewing in the minds of his enemies. Uh, sparked off by the cleansing of the temple. If you don't know what the cleansing of the temple is, just a few chapters earlier you can read the story of that. And that prophetic action, where Jesus drove out the livestock and the traders who were turning the, the holy temple into a marketplace... When he drove them out, these religious leaders chose to see that action as an attack on the temple itself and on the law that the temple stood for. They also saw his attack as an implied claim on Jesus' part to have authority over the temple, which meant have authority over them. The very same language, the very same words that we find Jesus prophesying are used by the apostle or by Stephen, the, one of the first deacons, 
when he's being charged by the people of his day, when he quotes Jesus, there will be not left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they accused him of blasphemy and they stoned him to death. Well, as you read the story, you find that there were many witnesses called forth to give an account of having heard the words of Jesus. They wanted to know not only what was said, but when it was said. And they found no consistent recollection. And so that charge was dropped. The second charge was more serious. Based on his teaching in the temple, he was accused of having made a messianic claim that put himself on a par with God. The whole of the Bible bears witness that there's God and then there's everything else that isn't God. Jesus puts himself on the God side of the equation. And since God had said, you shall have no other gods before me, since in the Shema of Israel, They said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Jesus seemed to be attacking the foundations of Israel's monotheistic faith and attacking the temple, which was the place where this God was worshipped. Now, so try and imagine the scene now. It's almost impossible to exaggerate the drama that was being enacted there in that room. Here you have the high priest and the scribes. The high priest, who is the serving high priest of that period of all Israel, he is the highest religious authority in the land. And here you have Jesus. Later, the scripture will call him a high priest of good things to come, Hebrews 9. The definitive, the definely appointed high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, Psalm 110. Pitted in this conflict here. And during the high priest's examination and interrogation of Jesus, Peter is in the forecourt denying Jesus. John, in his gospel, highlights the chronological relationship between what's going on inside and what's going on Outside, Matthew contrasts it like this. Matthew reminds us of Peter's faithful witness to Jesus. In Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus was asking his disciples, what do people say I am? What do they say I am? Who do you say that I am? It was Peter who answered in that great defining statement that has defined the whole course of Christian thought and Christian history. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The high priest had had that statement reported to him. But when the high priest is asking Jesus a whole host of questions, Jesus remains silent. And in remaining silent, Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. In Isaiah 53, in verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth like a lamb, led to the slaughter like a sheep before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He's fulfilling Scripture in his silence. He is, as 
Thomas Onandi puts it, the lamb that will suffer on behalf of all for the forgiveness of sins and for making the new covenant. This silence of Jesus seems to have destabilized, made uncomfortable the people in the room until the high priest blurts out, according to Matthew's account, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. What had Peter confessed? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does the high priest ask Jesus? I adjure you by the living God. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And once again, Jesus replies, Ego I me. I am. I am that I am. I'm the one who spoke to Moses. I'm the one who revealed myself to Moses. The time for concealing this is now over. The truth has to be stated firmly and clearly. Here's a man, Caiaphas, the high priest, who sits on Moses' seat. And here he is hearing, in a, with a human voice, hearing the words that Moses heard. I am. I am the son of the blessed. I am the son of God. I'm son by nature. Not by adoption as you may be. I'm as much God as my father is God. Just as you are as human as your parents are human. Jesus is God the Son. And he goes on to quote from Psalm 110. For you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. A euphemism for God. Coming with the clouds of heaven. When the high priest asks this question, it's framed in the language of Psalm 2. You are my son today, I have begotten you. Jesus says, you've got that right. And you will see me coming in the clouds of heaven. The clouds of heaven are the glory of God. God appears in the clouds. He's also quoting from Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel writes, I saw... And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all nations and peoples and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is not one that will ever be destroyed. Jesus says, yes, I'm the Christ. But let me def define what that means. It doesn't mean that I have any interest at all in political or military interpretations of that title. I am the one who will come in the clouds of heaven and in with the glory of God. My kingship is not of this world, he tells Pilate later. He comes in the power of God, from God, sharing God's nature to achieve God's purpose in the world. And immediately, they've got him. 
And the high priest tore his robe. Ganilka says, The tearing of the high priest's garment does not occur through anger. Rather, it is a deliberate action prescribed for the officiating judge as a sign of outrage upon hearing a blasphemy. A blasphemy. He tears his robe. And Jesus is accused of, of blasphemy, not on the basis of the false testimony of these folks who had been brought before the court, but on the grounds of his true testimony, his own testimony. Jesus witnessed a good confession, Paul says. He is, in the language of the book of Revelation, repeatedly, the faithful witness. He will die not because of lies that have been spread about him. He will die because of the truth which he spoke and for which he lived. He's made a good confession. These people have absolutely no doubt what Jesus is doing when he says, Ego I me, I am. They have no question about what he means when he, when he agrees that he is the Son of God in terms of the psalm. Now, you may be here this morning and you're exploring Christianity. And perhaps you don't, uh, you're not inclined to listen to those who already believe in it or have received Jesus. I would urge you just for a moment then to consider these people that we're looking at, this, these religious figures at Jesus, in Jesus' day. They rejected Jesus. But they knew what they were rejecting. Why did they reject him? They rejected him because this is what he was claiming to be, God with us. They were not neutral about Jesus. You can't be neutral about Jesus. The only way you can do that, I think, is not to, ex to understand what he was saying. They were not neutral, and they began to spit on him, to cover his face and to tell him, Tell us who hit you. Who just punched you? Prophesy. And they were beating him up and showing him who is boss. This story teaches us a lesson, and it's absolutely true. Humanity, humanity, if given the choice, will murder her maker. Will murder her maker. When people say, if only God would do this or that or the other thing, or if only God could visit us and we could see him, nonsense. He was there, he was speaking to them, they could see him, they could go up the street and over the hill and they could see the man he'd raised from the dead. The place was lined with people who had been healed of this, that, or the other thing. He had been there. He was there. They knew all of those things. And yet, and yet, there was mob rule. And these religious leaders, the institutional church of that day, were quick to condemn him. Just as the church sometimes does today. An archbishop in England last week, he, uh, 
he said that the church should no longer use the name Father in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Why? Because people have abusive fathers. That's a reality, by the way. People do have abusive fathers. And if as a church we found out that there was a husband abusing his wife or a father abusing his children, we would discipline him and we would probably call the police. But the people who say that calling God Father and there being this reality of abusive fathers or bad fathers or neglectful fathers or absent fathers are committing a a vital error. There's absolutely no comparison or connection between God as Father and we humans, creature, creaturely fathers. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas was always reminding us that the only way that God is Father is by analogy, not by comparison. He's not one of a kind, the same kind as us. God's in a class all of his own, this vertical difference between God as our heavenly Father. And wherever the Word of God challenges the status quo, questions, received understandings, threatens the power brokers of this age, or perhaps threatens the bottom line, whatever the Word of God affects that, there will always be those who want to silence the preaching of the Word of God. And Jesus says to us, if they hated me, they will hate you also. So they grabbed him and they dragged him with violence and insults, with blows and curses in equal measure, out of the palace and into the garden where the spring air now was chilly and people were he warming themselves by fires placed strategically around the garden courtyard. And as Jesus is being pulled out into the garden courtyard, he passes by Peter. The last words Jesus hears from the lips of his servant Peter, who at Caesarea Philippi had said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the last words he hears before he is hauled into prison to be brutalized by the guards and then to be handed over to the Romans, to be brutalized by the Romans and crucified, he hears his own disciple, the chief of his disciples. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And he's no longer said it. Then he hears the cock crow. And at the same time as he hears the cock crow, Jesus turns his head. And Peter and Jesus connect eyes. And he goes out humbled. He goes out and cries. Judas, who did not know anything of hope and salvation because he'd rejected Jesus in that, in that category, Judas goes and hangs himself. This man goes out. And the beginning of his repentance can be found in those tears he cries in the garden. He wept 
bitterly. I want to summarize what's going on here by reference to uh, an incident that you can find at the very end of Ezekiel chapter 22. It's very random, but it's quite an important thing. In that chapter, you find God attacking Jerusalem, same place where Jesus is. And while he's attacking Jerusalem, he's at the same time going through Jerusalem, searching, searching for a righteous man who can stand in the breach and defend the city against his own divinely orchestrated assault. It seems so hopelessly confusing. If you read the story, it seems hopelessly confusing. Is God outside the city, attacking it? Or is God inside the city, seeking to save his beloved people? This double role is is not so much resolved, but this double role is made clear and explicit by the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Because in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God is both judge and judged. God is both judge and judged. Jesus says in John's gospel, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. There's an entire book of the Bible, the book of Judges, given over to teaching us that the Savior is also the judge. And this Jesus who came not to condemn the world, but to save the world, will one day be the one who judges the world. But he came into the world to be judged on behalf of his people so that you and I need never be afraid of facing him as the judge of all men. When he comes again in glory, to judge the world. We will not cringe in fear. He will look us in the eye. It may be a look of disappointment, but it will be a look of love. He loves his people. I wonder if you then know this one who was judged for us. Do you know him for yourself? Would you like to know him for yourself? You know all you need to do is ask him. You say, I can't talk into the, into the ether. Yes, you can. He hears you. And he answers prayer. And if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek for him with all your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray you would come amongst us with the power of your Holy Spirit to make us wonder at the enormous love, Jesus, that you have for us and have shown for us in coming into the world to experience what went on that evening, the humiliation, the pain, and with more to come. And we come to you, Lord, as people here, some of us who profess your name, and we've not been really good at doing that, and 
We feel a bit shamed, and yet here you are. You bring us here to allow us to confess our sin to you and to assure us over and over and over again that you love to show mercy. Will you show mercy to somebody this morning who's asking you from the depths of their heart to make yourself known to them? Will you answer that prayer for them? And will you, Lord, make all of us appreciate more what you have done for us in Christ? We ask in his strong name. Amen.